Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that doesn't have the energy to get into that whole footballers celebrating nonsense doing the rounds, except to say that maybe politicians would be a bit more understanding if they didn't score own goals all the time. On today's show, we're going to be casting a glance at Anfield for this weekend's big game, but primarily, naturally, we'll be focusing much of our attention on Manchester City v Crystal Palace. It's a fixture that makes Blues feel decidedly uneasy, given a loss and two draws in recent seasons. But with City having rediscovered a rich vein of form, perhaps we should be confident. Maybe. Probably not. To discuss all this, I'm delighted to be joined today by Howard, as always, and a special guest who you may know by the acronym HLTCO. We know him as Dan Cook. Hi, Dan. You well, mate? I'm good, mate. You? Yeah, I'm grand. I'm grand. And welcome aboard to uh, 9320. Thanks for doing this. No problem at all. Happy to be here. Lovely. And for listeners uh, listening in, you may have detected a slight southern accent there, just to kind of denote <laughs> that Dan is a Crystal Palace fan, um, to give kind of both sides of the uh, the game this weekend. And um, Howard, you'll be looking at it from the blue perspective, I'm guessing. I guess I will be. I'm a bit put out, actually. You said the big game this weekend. Surely that is Manchester City against Crystal Palace. Even as a City fan, you're good, mate. You're not, you're not being top and playing Liverpool has a bit of an edge to it. I know. I saw Football 365 said that it is the biggest game of the Premier League season. Mm, to, to date, perhaps, yeah. I don't know. Surely, surely if Manchester City and Liverpool are the two favourites, would that not be the... Oh, well, they Let's not get into an argument about what's bigger anyway. <laughs> yeah, He's got yeah, the biggest yeah. games. The yeah, biggest yeah. club, so... Yeah, thank God you said games there, yeah. Yeah, biggest game, yeah. Let's just move um, on then. Before we get to these games, um, I, I'm, like I said at the top, I don't want to discuss the football celebrating nonsense. It is just pish. But looking at it more broadly, with the recent outbreaks of, co- uh, outbreaks of COVID amongst Premier League squads, there seems to be an increasing feeling that football might have to take another enforced break sometime soon. Um, start with you, Dan. Can you see the season finishing um, uninterrupted? Um, obviously I'm not, you know, part of the Tory cabinet or, or making decisions on whether or not the games should be carrying on. Mm. I'm sort of pleased and heartened by the fact that there appear to be an ever increasing number of, of players and coaches, etc. Uh, Neil Warnock said it, I think Seamus Coleman said it a couple of days back in terms of the fact that the world at the moment is so horrible that we do sort of need as football fans something to sort of cling on to and, and hang our hat on. And, yeah. you know, as much as I appreciate that football isn't the be-all and end-all for, for society as a whole, um, the famous quote, it's the most important of the unimportant things, does sort of strike a chord with me because, you know, I look at my mental health as someone that is pretty much a football addict and without it, I think it would have suffered quite significantly over this last few months. So obviously you've got to have all the different protocols in place, but I sort of feel like there's enough of a, a tidal wave of momentum to ensure that the football doesn't get cancelled in a manner it did before and if it is a case of I don't know a Fulham having three games to make up over the course of a couple of months that's the better option than, than just cancelling it altogether as a blanket decision I just ask you Dan if it was a sport that you didn't like do you think you feel the same way um it's, it's an interesting question that but I sort of look at it I mean Sean Dyer said it in one of his press conferences a couple of weeks back in relation to the fact that all of the tests are paid for privately and, you know, he was he was advocating a situation where all the players across the Premier League and all the people in those bubbles get the vaccine before, you know, necessarily other people would in society because of the, the pure strain it's putting on the professionals that are having to administer these tests time after time. And as much as, you know, if it was, I don't know, fringe sports like bowls or ice hockey in this country, for example, there wouldn't be as much of a news item made of it. I think the... the interest in the explosion of, of you know conversation around the Premier League makes it such a hot potato topic that if we can work out a way of, of getting it sorted so that people can go back to just diverting the money into the NHS, it makes a great deal more sense. So I don't know, there's so many millions of people that are obsessed with football in this country that it's going to always be a, a topic of conversation. And I think the fact that it is so central to a lot of people's lives does make it different to just a a random conversation about whether or not it should be a differentiator in society. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel conflicted because for me, it's it's a, down to my income as well. I'd lose income if football took a break. Um, and you mentioned their uh, mental health. And I think it's, it's the same for all three of us where, you know, if you're looking at a blank weekend, 
um, during lockdown, then that's a pretty bleak prospect. Whereas if you've got United D Liverpool, you've got City Palace, next week you've got the FA Cup. Um, it, it just really does help me right now. Um, how do you feel similarly conflicted or are you very much on one side or the other? No, I'll say conflicted. I think I feel a bit more optimistic than I did a week ago. Uh, I, would, I think we discussed it passing a week ago. Well, I mean, we had to discuss it, obviously, when City's game was called off against Everton yeah. and then Aston Villa issues, obviously. They had to shut down the whole you know, training ground and whatnot. And they've probably got, I don't know, four games to make up now. Though if they're out of the cup, I think they can squeeze a couple in there. Yeah, I, I understand why football you know, is going ahead. It's very different. Our, our outlook is different to, you know, when this all started and was called off last March. But there has to be a tipping point, and it's subjective at to what point, you know, to how much are footballs a commodity, and how much are, is their health important? And just being tested constantly is not a good enough an excuse to put them at risk because they're not immune from suffering from this. You know, it's not just a case of oh, tested positive for COVID, they're out for forty days and they're free to play again. There's obviously, I mean, just look at two Newcastle players that've got long COVID. It seems. Yeah. And we have to look after the health of the players that, you know, we can survive without football. Uh, bizarrely, I I actually feel the opposite of that in a way that I, I could do without football, but it's it's so dependent on how well City play my football. <laughs> because if you, for most, I'd say. No, that, because yeah. I mean, if City have a bad performance, and thankfully they're on a good run, but if they had a bad performance... That just makes me feel worse. I'm worse than I normally would when I'd be in a pub or at the ground or you can yeah. go to the pub and get over it. Now I'm just having to deal with City's performances by myself. And in a way, it's a, a hindrance. But of course, you go and win United at the Carabao and fit, you know, on top of the world for a good day. So <laughs> it can go either way with me according to results. But I, fe- I felt a week ago it was doomed. I felt, you know, because of what was happening in the outside world and it was going through clubs, I thought there's no way it's going to hit a lot of clubs very soon and it still might. But last week, you know, there's not been too many new outbreaks at clubs. There's been individuals. Uh, uh, Danny Ings has got it, but he's, I think, already I think ready to come back today. And, there's, you know, it's not swept through another club. So it's really hard to say. And I don't know what the tipping point is. But as it stands, I am comfortable with football going ahead. Just let's cut out the hysteria when clubs rightly are cautious and, you know, ask yes, for matches. Definitely. When they have to close down, they have to be cautious. They have to do what Villa did. They have to do what City did. And if there's a backlog, there's a backlog. Uh, where that leads to, I've no idea because... I know the Euros ain't being moved, that's for sure. So, and it would be a bit weird if we have to finish the season after the Euros. I think the most likely outcome is we're just going to have a lot of games might have to be squeezed in for a few clubs towards the end of the season, and that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dan, I just want to ask you about yourself for a moment. Um, I'm sure there's a fair few listeners who know who you are. They'll follow you on Twitter, um, HLTCO on Twitter. I don't wish to embarrass you here, but I regard you as one of the best kind of football accounts out there. Um, Thank you very much. Did it? Did you start out solely writing about Palace and tweeting about Palace, and then it kind of went from there? Is that how it started? Um, so to give a bit of a, a history of, of my um, graduation into doing what I do, without wanting to sound too corny about it, from the age of about six or seven, I always wanted to get into to football writing and being mm. involved in the game. And I pretty much geared my entire education towards that, did my A-levels in sort of English literature and, and history and government and politics, etc., to get to university with the basic skills to go into a sport journalism course and did that, um, went through the three years of that. But by the time the sport journalism course finished, I was pretty much disillusioned with the industry before I'd even got into it because of (laughs) the the nature of nepotism across different publications. And I didn't Mm -hmm. particularly want to be, you know, reporting on car short and athletic on a Saturday because I'm so palace orientated anyway. And I knew that if I was going to be doing that, it was going to be five or six years of, of really grafting before I potentially got anywhere. So I sort of, I meshed, my love of, of writing with Crystal Palace and obviously started HLTCO as, as a page. And that initially was um, blogs that I used to write two, three, four times a day, just little news items and opinion pieces, etc. And then gradually it sort of graduated 
to doing podcasts. Uh, initially, it was interviews with ex-players, Aaron Ambrose, um, Johnny Williams, Dwight Gale, etc. And then because I was aware that there wasn't an infinite pool of people that I could end up speaking to from week to week, um, I decided to give the, the general daily podcast for Crystal Palace a go. Um, and I've got a Patreon page that got to, to 700 patrons in uh, September, I believe, mm. last year. And on the particular day when it hit 700, I tweeted it out and said that it got to 700 and I was 300 away from being able to quit my job. Um, <laughs> within 48 hours, 350 people had signed up and it was above a 1,000. And a lot of those people weren't Palace fans. And I sort of felt like if those people that have shown me that faith and put that money in my pocket to be able to do what I love to do, I'm going to try and, and run two podcasts side by side. So I do a Crystal Palace one every day, Monday to Friday. And I also do a general football one that's up by 9.30 Monday to Friday as well. So it's sort of a, a two-pronged thing now. So that's pretty much the, the path towards where we are at the moment. So when you made the decision to kind of go full-time, can you break it down as regards to percentages of you know excitement compared to kind of fear? Because <laughs> it's oh, there, quite there a scary thing of- to do. Yeah, there was a lot of trepidation with it because, I mean, the, the one thing is I wasn't really sure whether or not there was going to be this initial burst of enthusiasm for what I'd achieved and then, say, three or 400 people drop off. Mm. Um, and I get, I mean, I've got a lot of Palace fans following me and I have a lot of neutral fans following me now on, on the Twitter page. And I tend to get, I mean, even yesterday I had Man United fans going mad at me because I made this link between Mark Clattenberg and the 2016 <laughs> FA Cup final. And you just... You're almost in a situation with Twitter and it's not me specifically, it's everybody where because it's that platform that gives people a voice to be amplified that if they say something that they feel hits on you know a particular point, it can go and be shared thousands of times. I have this reputation amongst certain fan bases like Birmingham fans hate me because they think I <laughs> love Aston Villa and, and it's like Sunderland fans can't stand me because I quite like Newcastle and I quite like Everton. So all the, all the Liverpool fans just despise me and I'm like, well, I'm only trying to make a living. Do you know what I mean? I'm not trying to be everything to everyone, but I have opinions. I'm an individual and it tends to, you know, so from that perspective, my own worry about not being able to make it a long-term income was there but thankfully over the last sort of four or five months it's, it's continued to grow bit by bit and i'm stable in terms of my income so that's good so the name uh, sorry the name is hang on it's hopkins looking to curl one is that right yeah that's um, i've said it right famous piece of commentary hopkin looking to curl one it's not sorry a, not i was close problem. enough it's, it's all good so in the night well, i'm hopkin and everyone gets my name wrong so i'll get hopkin <laughs> wrong as well so and uh, what's that from? Is it a playoff? Or? Yeah, the nineteen ninety seven playoff final. We um we were against Sheffield United, and it was nil nil, ninety uh, first or ninety second minute, I believe, and the ball fell to David Hopkin on the edge of the box, uh, and he sort of just not hit and hoped it, but he's it won from the edge of the area, and the commentary is David Hopkin looking a cold one as the ball sort of flies into the back of the net, and obviously last minute Wembley etc you've, mm. you've won a playoff final, so it's it's always been an iconic piece of commentary amongst our fan base and. I always wanted a name that was going to be sort of emotive for the people that were going to be looking at the website every day. So I chose that and it's just snowballed from there, really. Those were the days when Palace just seemed to be in playoffs every single year. <laughs> yo, yo. Yeah. Um, thankfully, those days are over now. It's um, How long have you been in the Premier League for now? It must this, be... is, this is eight now. Eight years eight, straight. Eight years. Yeah. Well, let's move on to... Actually, before we move on to Palace, um, I'm guessing you're pretty pleased about City beating Brighton the other night. It was pretty pleasant, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I always tur- I turn into a, a severe fan of whoever's facing off against them. So, yeah. yeah. So that, that Does rivalry that rivalry is- make sense? I mean, obviously... Do you get bemused that other people think that's a weird rivalry, if that I don't sense? get bemused by it. I get frustrated that people... Yeah. Oh, they ask why we hate them. They ask why Brighton hate us. <laughs> then you tell them and they go, that yeah. makes no sense, mate. And I'm like, but you, you don't need to care. Like, this is the point. It's almost as though you stumble across a conversation in a pub by t- between two people that are arguing, right? They're arguing about something they care deeply about. And you come in out of nowhere and go, your argument makes no sense to me. And you're like, why does it involve you? you like... <laughs> You don't need to care as long as we care. Like, if you ask a Brighton fan who they hate most, it's Palace. If you ask a Palace fan who they hate most, it's Brighton. Really, beyond that, it makes no difference to anyone else. But they have this desire to go, you're stupid. It makes no sense. You shouldn't hate them. 
It's not it's, your point. So it's football. I, mean, I would say all, rival, yeah, all rivalries don't really make that much yeah, sense exactly. if you, yeah. you want to drill down into it. So. Yeah. And it's like, for me, people go, sorry to just jump on this, but That's people go on about it not being a geographical rivalry. Right? Chelsea hate Leeds and no one questions it. But it's far further because it's based upon certain games that grudges built up in over a period of time. And that's exactly the same as Palace and Brighton. Just because it wasn't high profile at the time that the two clubs played each other so often and ended up hating each other, it's like, well, we didn't know about it, so it can't have any legitimacy. And it's just frustrating because you think, well, why are you even getting yourselves involved? I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Brighton because my first kit was a Palace kit. So even though I've always been a City fan because my first game was Palace. I've, I've never been a big fan of Brighton. Um, but looking kind of more locally, do you have kind of London rivals? Are, are there kind of local... Well, I'm guessing Charlton's one, isn't it? Yeah, we do. I mean, if you look at it geographically, Charlton and Millwall, but without wanting to, you know, pour too much cold <laughs> yeah. water on their recent years, they haven't <laughs> been at our level. So, yeah. I mean, we played Charlton, I can't remember how, year, how many years ago it was now. We drew them in the League Cup. And we played them at Sellers, put out our reserves and beat them 4-0. And you, it's not it's not the same anymore as it, as it was in sort of the mid-noughties when they relegated us, when they were in the, the Premier League. So the Brighton thing has, has gone on to another level in recent years because we both had this period in the Premier League together. But if you were to look geographically, there's definitely still a rivalry between ourselves, Charlton and Millwall. But if, if you were going to have a hierarchy of the three, I think most Palace fans would always put Brighton at the top. Yeah. Um, Howard, when I was putting this question together, it occurred to me that you know, Palace and Brighton and the distance between them. I can't really think of many clubs, apart obviously from United and obviously with Liverpool, given the fact that we're kind of, you know, chasing the league title with them every year. Beyond those two, I can't think of anyone beyond Manchester who City fans collectively dislike. I mean, the nearest I got was Spurs in recent years, but can you think of anyone? Yeah, there's a. There seems to be a North London thing about some City fans, uh, mm. calling them the Tarquins and whatnot. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if it's, it's just they get wound up by uh, the North London football fan. Uh, no, it, as you say, collectively, no, it's an individual thing. So yeah. I despise Ipswich because they jeered us when they put us down about 20 years ago. And that's all it takes now. I hate them for life and I hope they spiral down into the 10th <laughs> level of English football just for no reason whatsoever. You're not a fan and... of Wimbledon either, are you? <laughs> totally irrational. Uh, but, it's not irrational yeah. to hate Wimbledon, though. Oh, Wimbledon, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, sorry, I'm talking about Ipswich. So, yeah. And obviously, M- MK Dond, you could make your own arguments about and yeah. I think some older fans would hate Everton because they went down in the 80s and got golf balls lobbed at them across Stanley Park when it was pretty tasty for away games and people have their own reasons for it. It could just be one match, it could be one incident or mm. one thing like that. Collectively, no, I would say, as football fans, we just tend to hate most other clubs. You'll, you'll always find an easy reason, won't you, to uh, beyond the noble rivalries, so... But yeah, it can just be one game really that can set you off, so... But yeah, it can be... But, I mean, I've got an irrational dislike of, of Charlton Athletic because I... There used to be such sensible sallies, you know what I mean? They, they came in the Premier League, they didn't spend any money, they, they did everything right, they even became this model where everyone had to base it on, so any promoted club, oh, had to use the Charlton model. And it was like, hang on, you've been in the Premier League now for ages, spend a bit of money, go a bit ambitious, oh no, we'll, we'll just get this player, just for this nice, sensible 125,000, they used to piss me off, completely irrational, and yet, after a few years of them being in the top flight, I really disliked Charlton, and I wanted them to go down. It's football. They did what you asked them to do, and now that's a consequence of them being in League One because they got bored of Alan Kirbishley and, and then they spiraled. Yeah. So, really, they've done exactly what you wanted them to do. <laughs> right. Hey, I never said I was right. <laughs> yeah. Don't get um, me started on Wigan Athletic either. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of the Wigan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on to City Palace. Um, mention of Palace's decent record at the Etihad in recent years in the intro. Um, I mean, obviously, you, you go back to that three-two. Uh, I mean, you've, I've seen on Twitter, Dan, that you've you've had a thread recently showing kind of great goals, big Palace goals, saying how much you're missing the live experience. I'm assuming you'd love to relive that Townsend goal again, wouldn't you? 
Oh, it was a great moment. To be honest, I wasn't actually at the Etihad for that game. I was in my mother-in-law's lounge. <laughs> and I was sitting there uh, watching it on a stream on my phone. And to be fair, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law aren't particularly football people. So they, they sort of indulge what I do. But they aren't like living and breathing it like I do. And when the stream showed Andros hitting that volley, it went a bit pixelated. And I saw, I think it was Edison just, you know, fall on the floor and all of our players run off. And I let out this high-pitched squeal, basically. And her mum said, oh, did, did you score? And I went, uh, yeah. I'm not really <laughs> sure what's just happened. And I saw it on a replay and it just completely scrambled my brain. So, yeah, that game itself was just ridiculous as a Palace fan because at that point, obviously, you were high-flying and everyone was feared. They feared what you did. And then, you know, we've ended up scoring those three goals. But Roy Hodgson's teams have a have a habit of doing this. Even to Palace fans, we will watch us from week to week and it sort of comes out of nowhere occasionally and you, you're never really sure when you're going to put in a performance like that and, and that's pretty much how that game panned out um, and hopefully we can do it again. But no, I am missing the live experience massively just because of moments like that and, and the joy that you can have when you're in the ground and it flies in the back of the net. Um, you mentioned there about the fear of, of playing City. I mean, for two years, we really did have that kind of, you know, fear factor that teams would come to City in particular, you know, because I guess, you know, at home, the fans would get behind him and they're compelled to attack us more. But certainly at the Etihad, teams would come and would be beaten before a ball was kicked. Do you think that's different with Palace, given your kind of relative success against us in recent years, two draws and a, and a win. Do you think, because there's going to be a lot of players playing this weekend who have, you know, were involved in that game. Psychologically, I'm guessing they're coming to City thinking, well, we've done you before, we can do you again. I think that there's probably a degree of that. Um, one player that's always happy to back himself, regardless of the opposition, is, is Zaha. And obviously we've got Eze in the ranks now as well. So there are going to be individual players out there that will back themselves to be able to do good things and potentially score a couple of goals. But the way that we tend to set up is quite stoic. It's, it's sort of nine or 10 men behind the ball and, and trying to break. So it's not like we're going to come and, and meet you toe to toe. It will be a, a sort of cat and mouse thing, I would imagine. And hopefully if, if game plan goes correctly, we'll catch you on a break. I, I know that Pep Guardiola is someone that has a huge amount of admiration for a number of our players and the way that we set up because of how dangerous we can be. But I mean, I, given the way that we've played this season, I still have a, a tremendous amount of trepidation going into the game purely because of the different attacking options you've got and, and what you could do to us if you get an early goal, because we do tend to collapse when we concede first. Um, it happened against Liverpool very early on, it happened against Aston Villa on Boxing Day, and, and we didn't ever really revive ourselves in those two games. So for me, the first sort of 30 minutes will be key to establishing how the game's going to pan out. Do you think well, it's that possible it could go the way? at least for a while, that the Arsenal match did last night. I would have thought so, yeah. I mean, to be honest, going into that game, they've obviously won four in a spin. And given our you know, recent away performances, the, the Aston Villa one does stick out in my mind because it was so pitiful. I was sort of expecting the same thing, but we got the exact opposite and it was very stoic. One key or two key differences was the return of James Tompkins and, and Tyreek Mitchell to the back four because Scott Dan played against Aston Villa and I love Scott Danny. He's been at the club a number of years, but he's, he's not getting any younger. And he was he looked out of his depth, to be fair. And Patrick Van Arnholt is just someone that boils my blood. I can't stand him. <laughs> um, so having a defender in Tyrick Mitchell that actually likes to tackle rather than just trying to get into the final third in the opposition's box every five minutes is, is a pleasant change. What's um What's been the big pluses regarding Palace this year? And kind of what would you say is maybe their biggest flaw? In terms of pluses, I saw that question on the agenda and without wanting to sound too negative, there's there's not many. Um, mainly because the style of football under Roy doesn't change that much from year yeah. to year. It's very solid and it, you know what you're going to get in terms of the setup. The one major plus has been the addition of Ibir Eze purely because he's a player so unlike anything else we've got in the squad. He sort of glides on the ball. He's always looking to advance play and bring others into the final third. So having him alongside Zaha has been a major plus for us. And, you know, he scored a couple of goals, got a couple of assists. And whenever we do play a side, they always come away saying how impressed they were with him. So he's been a, a major boost. In terms of the floor, and it's, it's a bit ironic given the fact that we've just got back-to-back -back clean sheets, but conceding early has been our Achilles heel for the majority of this season um, and when we do because of the nature of the way that Roy Hodgson sets up to try and keep things tight we tend to sort of 
disintegrate a little bit and not necessarily get ourselves back into the game or have a have a tactical tweak in us to change the way that we've set up. So as I say, if you, if you can get in and around us early and get an early goal, then I wouldn't you know back against you scoring three or four potentially. Can I, sorry, Steve, can I just jump in and ask about Roy Hodgson? So, yeah, of course. Sorry. Uh, I think I read yesterday he's not thinking of retiring at the end of the season. Uh, is that... Is he still got a huge amount of credit with Palace fans in general? And you're happy that would you be happy if he did stay for at least a couple more years as manager? It's a tricky one. It's ironic that we were talking about Charlton um, prior to this specific question because you know you can look at where we were when he came in. Frank de Boer was obviously in charge immediately prior to his appointment, and we were staring down a barrel of a gun without wanting to put too fine a point on it. I think we had five games, no points, no goals, and he came in and he steadied that ship. He's been the manager now three years plus, which is a very long time for a Palace manager, particularly in the Premier League, as an unbroken spell. So there are a vast number of Palace fans that appreciate and respect what Roy Hodgson has done, but there is a certain degree of apathy that's creeping in in relation to our style of football because you look at the players that we've got in terms of the attacking options and occasionally it would be nice to see us, you know, play with a bit more of a flourish. And, you know, Roy will always say that his remit is to keep us in the Premier League. It's very similar to Steve Bruce at Newcastle in that sense. There's this desire to have some joy to sort of get you off your seat watching the team. And maybe that's because there's no one in the ground as well. But, you know, I I would imagine that Steve Parrish, if he is given the option by Roy Hodgson to expand extend his deal for another year will probably jump at it because he's as close as you can get to a guarantee of Premier League survival but as supporters it's difficult to sort of know where the long-term future is because I think he'll be 74 this time next year he's already the oldest manager in the Premier League and you've got Mm. so many players out of contract this summer it's already an ageing squad you sort of want to know where the direction of the club's headed in the next four or five years because it probably isn't going to be with Roy Hodgson in charge as a 79 year old you know it's difficult to know what the long-term blueprint is, really. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask about um, Zaha, um, a very divisive player, I mean, beloved by Palace fans, admired by a lot of neutrals, but also, you know, a a lot of, well, let's say if it was fans at the Etihad this weekend, and if any Palace player got booed, it would be Wilf, wouldn't it? Does he get an unfair rap, do you think? Um, It's a conversation point. I mean, I've been doing podcasts and different uh, written pieces for a number of years obviously and he is the lightning rod for Crystal Palace he's the person that everyone rival supporters look to and there's this this reputation that he goes down too easily he actually gave an interview to, to Jamie Carragher a week or so back and spoke to Jamie Carragher about this this divers tag that he's got and he basically said when you run at the pace that I do and you're doing as many tricks and flicks that I do, if you if you are in full flight and someone does clip you, you will fall over. Mm. But he said he's he's got to the point of not even trying to explain it to people because they don't play professional football and they don't understand the sort of aerodynamic elements. And of course, people will always say, oh, you go down too easily. But if you look at it week after week, and obviously we as Palace fans have seen him his whole career, he does get kicked a ridiculous amount and he does have a bit of a chip on his shoulder. There's no doubt about that. My argument is always that people moan about footballers being robots and not showing personality. And yes, he does wear his heart on his sleeve, but for a Palace fan to have a player that's come through your academy that you know really does care about the football club, regardless of the fact that he wants to potentially secure a move away to win trophies before he retires, there's no doubt in my mind that he does care deeply about the football club. Mm. And then you consider how many times he's come through big for us. The diving tag is something that at this point, it, it just feels like supporters from other clubs will use as a stick to beat him with, rather than just accepting that he is the best player we've got. Because people will always double and triple up on him because they know what a threat he is. And then when they kick him, they go, why are you going down so easily? It's almost like you're Crystal Palace. You should just be rolling over and allowing this to happen. So on one hand, I do get it. And on the other hand, it's it's a frustrating thing, more, more so for him on a personal level, because I feel like he's striving to sort of go above and beyond at Crystal Palace. And he, he can't do that with the players he has around him. And then as a consequence of that, he, he lets his frustration sort of overspill into this perceived petulance. But really, it's just a desire to get a goal, get a win, and try and catapult us up the table, really. Howard, what's your take on Zaha? No, well, it's very eloquent defence. I think I think I could name probably about 200 players in the Premier League that you could, you know, tar with that brush of you know, going down too easily. Yeah. In theory. 
So to pick Conzaho would be utterly ridiculous of me, but I reserve the right to change my mind if he wins a penalty on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, I mean, that is... <laughs> Uh, to be honest, he does annoy me, and I can say that about some City players and at least one, two players in about every other team. That's yeah. me being a gumpy old man who, you know, thinks that players go down too hard. But you're right, we're, we don't play it. We're the running at speed, and players. Ha- <laughs> I mean, that the game works now. That if you want a decision, you have to go down when you feel contact because referees will not give you that decision otherwise. Uh, I, I mean, we discussed on the Bryant review that. Cancelo should have gone down probably in uh, the first half against Brighton. Didn't, yes. and nothing comes of the move. So it's like, well, which, what, what do you want? Do you want them to win you a penalty? Do you want the free kick? Or that's what football is now. You feel contact, you go down, and that's true of most players. So I wouldn't want to to pick on one player. Yeah, he gets in. He gets in some scraps with opposition players. He's one of those players. If he plays for you. He's a hero. If he plays for the opposition, you hate him, uh, and that's part of football. Yeah, they're not all robots. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, as but I say, yeah, I'll edit that out if he uh, if he wins, <laughs> if he wins a penalty on Sunday. Sorry for the strange um, digression here, but I heard the doorbell go, and my wife's just got it, and I know for a fact that due today is a collection of Royal Arabia's annuals, and now I'm hopelessly excited. <laughs> that's, that's my weekend. I'm going to go through all these Royal Arabia's albums, uh, annuals and watch City Palace. Doesn't be better than that. Uh, sorry about that. Anyway, um, that's lockdown. Oh, see, lockdown's not that bad exactly. after all, isn't it? It's a, it's a lockdown life. Um, Dan, what have you made of City this season? Um, I'll be honest, the first sort of couple of months, you were obviously, in terms of the table, further down than many people would have expected. But because yeah. of the, the postponement you had early on, I think it sort of acted as a bit of a Trojan horse in terms of your actual place within the title race. Because if I'm right in saying this, you are one point behind Liverpool with a game in hand. Is that correct? Yes. Um, yeah. So on that basis, and you look at the way that Manchester United have, have gone about it recently, you know, there's a potential that Liverpool are going to be sitting third in the title race, which is something at the start of the season I don't think anyone whether they're a Liverpool fan or a neutral would have said and you know you've got these consecutive wins I actually said on on Twitter yesterday or a day before in relation to Phil Foden specifically I I feel like the man management of him by Pep Guardiola has been top notch because there were so many people a couple of years ago wondering whether it was the right thing for him to stay at Manchester City and whether or not his career would sort of um, go down the wrong path in terms of appearances and everything else. But you look at what Pep's able to do and it's quite clear that after a pretty prolonged period of time as your boss, he still has complete faith from the players and he's getting the results. Ruben Diaz is a player that I've been oh, hugely yeah. impressed we by in, in yeah. the centre of your back four because he's just slotted in there straight away and looks like he's been a Premier League player for years. And, and it's almost... Mm. You know, people can talk about scoring five or six goals every week, but if you keep clean sheets and you've got a side as good as yours in the final third, you will win the majority of your games. And, and that is proving to be the case at the moment with your back four. So, no, I've been extremely impressed and I'm, I'm definitely concerned about our chances of coming out with a point or more on Sunday. So what about yourself? How are you feeling optimistic, pessimistic? How, how do you see? Well, actually, if you could answer that, but in addition to that, how do you see kind of Pep setting us up this weekend? Yeah, well, pretty much the same as previous games, I think. I am, yeah, quite pensive about this one. Uh, I don't, normally I wouldn't, obviously you've mentioned the recent record and unfortunately I was at the 3-2 defeat and it was, what was it, 2 all last year with that mm. Fernandinho late own goal, bizarre. Well, uh, I don't see that very often. That, yeah. Of course, there were two, I think there were two 5-0 wins before that. I am quite pensive because... Yeah, I say I don't normally take much steed from previous what happened two years ago, one year ago. But I think Palace will be quite a similar side and similar approach and obviously Roy Hodgson would have a similar Yeah, tactic tactically wise, we can expect the same sort of team to play us as was one or two years ago. And they are well organised and stubborn at the back, then with a bit of pace on the counter attack, well, that's the uh, that's the template for beat for causing yeah, it problems. It is. Uh, yeah. it's, I, I think it's going to be a tough game. Simple. I really do think it's going to be a tough game. I think when we came off the back of, I mean, I expected that against Brighton as well, and then we have got Villa, who's a tough game. You know, 
people looking at this six game run we've got as like should win all of them but it's nowhere near that simple not in any season and especially not this season uh, there's going to be some I wouldn't even call it a weird result as I say we've not won the last two at home to Palace I think yeah I I certainly don't expect City to run away with it and Dan talked about the early goal sometimes City get that early goal but sometimes they take 15-20 minutes to you know to really turn the screw so if it's still nil after half an hour, I do. I am wary. I mean, our defence is just the best it's been. Yeah. But still, you know, any team. Anything like, Palace have you know, a tendency to get away results and have done for quite a few years now. So, not just at City, you know, they can... I don't know. Is it right to say, Dan, that they're quite well, well set up to win away games as much as home games? Does that make any sense? I would almost say I would almost say better to be honest because yeah. we struggle we struggle when teams sit deep against us because we tend to play as a counter-attacking side anyway. Um, when teams do put nine or ten men behind the ball and we have to break it down, we struggle, which is why when they get the early goal, we tend to be in a bit of a problem because they can sit deeper and, and soak up more pressure. When a team comes at us, which is why we've got so many results of an eye-catching nature against your Liverpools and your Manchester Cities and Manchester Uniteds over the years, because by definition, home or away, they are set up to come at you regardless. And then we pick off the holes. So it's probably one of the key reasons why we've had a decent run against you in recent years. But like I say, this year, it does feel albeit slightly different after the back-to-back clean sheets we've just had. It does feel like if you can get an early goal, it, it could turn into a pretty comfortable day for you. And um, how do you think Jesus will start? I don't know. He came on and was all over the place. He was, uh, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think what it's hard to say because the Brighton second half surprised me in a way. I thought City were purring, I mean, just in the perfect position, Fatigue-wise, we all know it's going to be a slog this season. And we all know if you're playing every four days, then it's going to rotate all the time. But the way he worked the Birmingham game with, you know, like one half for Diaz, one half for Kevin De Bruyne, felt like the team was ready to play every four. Yeah, the big players anyway. And yeah, obviously Kevin De Bruyne was out on his feet and there was a lot, seemed like the team was (laughs) shacked second half. Uh, So... It becomes even harder now to determine how how he'll approach Sunday's game. He's talked about Walker and Jesus, who obviously returned positive COVID tests recently. Now we've ne- now the fact that Jesus is back on the bench and has come on suggests to me he wasn't ill, wasn't showing symptoms, and he's fine. But Pep has talked about treading carefully with those that have tested positive. Uh, I think it's. I don't think he will. I, I'm not sure I want him to either. It's just, it's not one, it don't fill me with confidence at the time. I mean, mm. it could be something left field like Torres could come in, but again, we don't know what fitness wise, we don't know what state he's in. I think he's more likely to go with a similar team to what started against Brighton. Yeah. No, it's well, it's worked for us, doesn't it? There's no question about that. So, um, okay, score predictions from both. Um, <coughs> Dan, uh, what, how do you reckon it'll end? Um, can I give two? Is that, course, is that yes. right? Yeah. One with my <laughs> best, heart. Best case would the worst be, case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My heart would say a one all draw and my head would say a two nil defeat. Okay. And Howard? I think there'll be one goal in it. And I do fancy us to concede one two one to City. I'm feeling a weirdly optimistic about this. I'm gonna go three one. But I don't truly believe that. It's just I've got an inkling. But yeah, England have got me into trouble before. So, <laughs> uh, right, let's look at the the lesser game then this weekend. Thank Howard. you, <laughs> Liverpool United. Um, Dan, from a personal perspective, just as a fan, who are you rooting for in this one? I'm not sure I can say one or the other. To be honest, I don't know whether it's because I'm so detached from the archetypal title race, and my yeah, you know, huge fandom tends to be focused around the bottom half of the table. But, I mean, just speaking from a personal perspective, I get a lot of stick-off Liverpool fans. The last 48 hours, I've had a lot of stick-off United fans. <laughs> and as a, as a Palace fan in general, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on a Manchester City podcast, it does feel like your fan base as a collective group of people are far more grounded in terms of understanding the way that football works for people outside of the rarefied air of the Premier League. Yeah. So, 
I don't really feel like I've got a horse in a race because if you were to take the straw poll of, of both of their fan bases, the vast majority of them would see us as a complete insignificance to them. Um, in terms of what I think will probably happen, you know, I, I can see that Manchester United with the way they've been this season, particularly away from home, are going to give Liverpool a real scare. And I think, you know, at the moment, as, as ridiculous as it would have been a couple of months ago, if they win against Liverpool at Anfield on, on Sunday, or is it Saturday? I don't even know. Um, it's Sunday then you would yeah. almost you would almost make them favourites for the title in a strange way, given the, the prolonged period of poor form that Liverpool will have been going through. So mm. it's a huge sea change for me. But yeah, I haven't got a, an emotional uh, horse in the race, really. I just sort of watch it from an interested football perspective. I, th- I think me and Steve are about to disagree big time over. Yeah, let's get this out of the way. Let's do it nice and quick. And so sharp. Dan can have the, the, vo- the vote on this on... Okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm not even going to justify my answer. I'm just going to say what my answer is. I want United to win. There you go. Over to you, Howard. Oh. <laughs> I don't. I'm not going to be like sitting there in a United scarf and singing songs. No, I just no. want them to. Yes. Yeah. No, I want no, them no. To I, lose. Basically, we both we both agree, don't we? That we want we want the result that suits City best. Exactly. Yeah. But we just have different answers on what I think suits City best. So, I mean, someone asked this on the message board as well during the week, and everyone, pretty much everyone said they want United to win. Because virtually every City fan, apart from me, it seems, it's seems right. to think <laughs> that United have not got it in them to win the league. Yeah, and, that we, and that we should not be, con- we should be concentrating still that Liverpool are the threat. And I'm just not convinced with that in this weird season where you don't need 95 points. Mm. And I don't know, they've got Fulham after that. Well, Fulham are doing all right. Well, defeated in five, I think. But I don't, I'm not convinced. And maybe what, maybe what is making me, th- I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, the draw is probably the best result. I'll take a draw now. Just no one wins. They both drop two points. I'll take that. And mm. then you don't, then you'd have to make a big decision. But part of me thinks, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, with Liverpool's injury list, and they're not in good form. Are United now the bigger threat? Not the better team, not if everyone was fit. And not in normal season, not championship champion winning material. But in this season, who knows? I just think, I think what my argument is that I could handle just about Liverpool winning again and the thought of United winning it. Because Liverpool have now done it and have... We've gone through the horror of watching them win, the, uh, win and have to deal with the fan base celebrating that. I'm more in a position for them to do it again, whereas mm. United win the league is just no. I don't really want even. Oh, I don't even that. want to contemplate that. I'd rather take on Liverpool for the yeah. title than be in a race with United. Maybe that's what's skewing my, I don't know, my judgment. So Dan, it's over to you. Do, who do you think's actually? If you if you were a City fan and you wanted the result that suited City who's the biggest threat to City this season do you think for that title race you see what you've just said there I sort of agree with in terms of this writing off of Manchester United because as you said it's it's a strange season it's not normal circumstances and in many ways maybe the lack of a crowd is is having a detrimental effect on Liverpool as much as it's potentially having a positive one on Manchester United so I don't know, I sort of tend to use a bellwether of, of mid-January as the time when the true title race begins, if you see what I mean, because you can have a good run of form going up to Christmas and it falls by the wayside. But if Manchester United do go to Anfield and get a victory, that's going to be a six-point gap over Liverpool. Mm. And just from a momentum and a mental perspective, that's that's a big thing for Manchester United, particularly given the fact that they'll be, what, nine games away from home this season, eight wins in a draw. You know, that sort of run of results can give you a huge amount of, of bounce for the games to come. So I personally would see Manchester United as a bigger threat than Liverpool if they were to get the victory at the weekend. Yeah, I do, do think United have got some big, big away games still to play. They've obviously got they've got Liverpool, they've got City. I think they do have a lot of the top six still to play away. So I have to see I, both sides, to be honest. I don't. It's going to be a weird experience watching it, to be honest. So... Well, I think there's a flip side to what, what you said there, Dan. I think if they go six points clear, yes, you know, United will be regarded as favourites. There'll be a whole raft of articles declaring them as kind of, you know, champions elect and all the rest of it. And from that, you know, okay, yes, there is belief, but there's also a whole load of pressure then. And suddenly the games become must win. They don't have it in them. That squad is not good enough. The manager's certainly not good enough. And I think when it gets to the really highly pressurised games, 
United will crumble. And also, I've written about this numerous times, they are a streaky team uh, presided over by a streaky manager. You look at United's form since he took charge in December 2018, they can go off on a kind of 15-game unbeaten run and look the absolute business, and then they just fall off a cliff. And they've done this time and time again, and I can't see any reason why that pattern will change. So, yeah, I'll be, I'll be well, I'll say supporting United. I'll never support United. I'll be wanting United to get the three points. You'll be sat <laughs> there in your full United kit. That was, that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? I've been a red this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm not even sure I'm going to watch it because I, I, yeah. I can't watch it and want one of those teams to win. So. Yeah, I'll probably follow it on Twitter and just be semi... Well, I'd like Marcus Rashford to score. That'll do me. 1-0, Marcus Rashford. I think um, the perfect game is if yeah. nothing happens whatsoever. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm certainly not the type of guy who wants long-term injuries and all that. No. You know, people say, oh, nil, nil, we're low descendants off. No, just a dull game where Marcus Rashford gets a, a goal. And all right, no injuries, out. but some red cars, that'd be great. For, yes. For violent conduct, yeah. yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. um, talking of Marcus Rashford, um, this week he's been in the news again, campaigning against the uh, disgraceful £30 boxes of food, which amounted to a carrot and half a sandwich. Um, and he's, he's brought genuine change again at the highest level. What, what have you made of that, Dan? Um, kind of, you know, the respect that the guy deserves for one thing is, is insurmountable, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a sad state of affairs in many ways that there aren't fans in stadiums at the moment because I feel yeah. as though Marcus Rashford is such a unifying presence amongst everyone in this country that he'd be getting a stand, standing ovation everywhere he went. Um, you know, I, I, as much as I have this huge amount of admiration for him, I just find it absolutely baffling that he has to give this much airtime to a subject that involves feeding children that are starving. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a ridiculous state of affairs. And... You know, people have talked about ice oh, a lot of pressure on his shoulders, but fair play to him for continuing this because it's one thing doing it for three or four months and, you know, getting the MBE and then thinking, right, I've done that. I better concentrate back on what I'm doing on the football pitch. But he's still going full steam ahead with both football and holding the government to account. And I know he's got people helping him and I know that it's not just him by himself, but it's, it's really quite outstanding to see from a distance because... You know, he doesn't need to do that to the extent that he is. And it feels to me like this isn't going to be a case of him banging a drum just for the sake of it. I feel like he has a genuine emotional investment in this. And it's just, it's fantastic on every level. And the, the most important part of it to me is that he's not made it uh, tribal at all. You know, he doesn't Absolutely. try to play yeah. off Labour yeah. and Conservative or, you know, Brexit, not Brexit, etc. It's very much just like, I want to feed kids. How do I do that? What is the best way of doing that? Everyone respect each other. And let's try and get you know the positive outcome, and it's a, it's a lesson for many people in society. I feel, and, and he hasn't made it about United or Liverpool either. I mean, he's praised Liverpool, of course, and, and praised all clubs, and um, but that's precisely what I mean about not making it tribal. You know, he could have kind of made a big thing about you know Manchester United are doing this, but you know he's doing it as a player, he's doing it as an individual, he's doing it as a human being, and and therefore it makes it a lot easier for fans of Palace and City and Liverpool to get involved. It's, it's you know, very shrewd and, and very well done. Um, Howard, what's your take on it all? I think Partic- particularly this week, the kind of what's happened this week. Uh, don't, no, yeah, don't get me started on the other side. Uh, Sickening, isn't it? Yeah. Let's just, uh, yeah, I think Dan summed it up perfectly. Uh, I think, apart, yeah, there's the, you're not supposed to allow to like United players. And I think... Uh, Juan Mata was the last one, and he's just, you know, <laughs> such obviously a lovely man. Yeah. <laughs> he really is, uh, and very dashing with it. God damn him. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's just a charmer. Uh, Marcus Rashford, Rashford's just a treasure, obviously, and as Dan said, he's yeah. all he wants in, what is it, the fifth biggest economy in the world, is that kids don't go hungry. <laughs> is that too much to ask for? And I find it quite embarrassing in a way that, you know, a lot of the things footballers obviously have this presence and can make a huge difference, but it is very depressing that it has to they, be footballers to, that are yes. making these things happen. Yeah. Uh, that's sad, but yeah, absolutely not. Not bad work can be said about him. He's an absolute diamond, and I, I think his mother is as well <laughs> for bringing it up that well. So uh, mm. yeah, just just let's ignore the. The noise around him, let's ignore the drivel written by the likes of 
what was his name, Edwards at the Telegraph saying, we shouldn't let his football be uh, <laughs> you know, affected he, by he all this. Assist. He got yeah. the assist for the winner in that game. That's the mad thing well, about yeah. Yeah. I'm like... He'd, he'd pre-written that before the match. Yeah. It was one of those where it's, uh, it's, it's fuck off. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, right, I, I tweeted him and said, why are you... Because he was getting out of his box about people not reading the article. And I said, yeah. when you write a subheading like that, you are literally looking for bites. And then you yeah. get bites and you, you become holier than thou. Like you're literally digging a man out for playing football at the top of the Premier League and getting an assist in a winning game. And helping kids to eat. I mean, what what kind of man are you? So I just, yeah. I mean, if you, you can get yeah. very angry on Twitter, can't you? But it's just, it's just unnecessary on every if, level. If you don't want the subheading like that that you he might not have written, then don't write the article that allows a subheading like that to be written. Basically, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, if he just written about, or at least, yeah, go on. or at least distance yourself from the subheading. You know, say that isn't yeah. my subheading. That's not how I wanted it to come across. Don't don't back it publicly no. and then moan at people getting the um he did mad. the classic thing of going oh he's great he's great Rashford he's great brilliant brilliant for about three paragraphs and going but and then <laughs> and then he's got his get out like oh no but I said lots of nice things about him before oh, making this horrendously shit point yeah. afterwards it's like no 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 you no know I hate that oh my god my, my big bugbear Dan as regards to the media is when I'm not even going to give an example. Just let's say a journalist is, is slagging on City, for example, relentlessly, and you point it out to them. Oh, yeah, but last March I wrote this article about how great a manager yeah. Pep Guardiola is. Well, yeah, that's easy to do. I'm not saying that your whole life you've been anti-Man City, but predominantly you are. And, yeah, I hate it when they try and use that as a get-out. But Right, it's time to wrap things up, guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Got a bit, yeah. That's, that, was, that was cathartic, that last I'm, bit. I'm anyway. still laughing at Howard's fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Wasn't to you two. I've gone through this podcast. I've not actually known whether you can swear or not. I mean, you just pulled that out there. I was like, oh, could have been completely different. No, yeah. you can't, but, you know, <laughs> some things that are going on in the world right now, uh, the guard yeah. gets yeah, lowered, basically, yes. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Dan. Uh, welcome back anytime. We're pleased to have you back anytime. No problem, great great guest. Thank you, mate. And thank you, Howard. Yeah, enjoyed that. And thank you uh, to listening in. Um, so that's a wrap, everyone. Please check out the other great content we have on the 9320 platform. Please check out Dan's Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash HLTCO. Uh, and more important than all of that, though, please take care of yourselves right now out there. Stay safe and forever up the blues.